Yes, I was a Peace Corps volunteer 2008 to 2010 in Ukraine. If you would like to talk about Ukraine, find me. I will be around later. Slava Ukraina. Yeah. <laughs> if in February of 2008, when I sat down on that eastbound airplane, if you had asked me what I was about, I probably would have said that I was on a search and rescue mission. At that point in my life, a very important part of my sense of self, my sense of personal courage, had just gone missing. It was in some dark corner of my soul where I could not see it. It was just gone. And I hoped I could find it. I was delighted with a posting to Ukraine. A young country, at that point it was less than 20 years old, born when the Soviet Union shattered in 1991. A land with a dark and difficult history. The Soviet times in Ukraine were cruel. Tens of millions of Ukrainians were killed, many right on the spot. Others were sent to the Gulag, the prison camps in Soviet Siberia, where they died after having worked themselves to death or frozen or starved. And I was going to arrive there when this was less than 20 years old and see how these people were raising a nation on that turbulence. I was really cranked about this. Because I knew that the first three months of Peace Corps service, you live with a host family. Though I was profoundly jet-lagged, it was with great anticipation that I waited for the door to open to meet my hosts. And the door opened, and there were Svetlana and Andre. They looked to be about my age. I learned later they were about 10 years younger, but you know, it's not the model year, it's the miles. <laughs> Svetlana's an MD doc, Andre's a geography teacher. And as I stood there meeting them, I thought, wow, through our formative years, and for half of our adult lives, we lived on opposite sides of an iron curtain, convinced that the people on the other side were going to lob a nuke over and vaporize us. And here they were inviting me into their home. Their home, about 320 square feet of Sovietsky apartment. Two rooms, a microscopic kitchen, a phone booth bathroom. And uh, my fellow teller, Lisa, who knows about square footage, <laughs> points out that this room is equal to five of those apartments. It was cozy. The main job that you have in the first three months as a Peace Corps volunteer is to learn language. So you have class all day long in a small group, and then there's homework. And on the weekend, your host family helps you with acculturation. Andre taught me how to ride the bus, how to buy a can of beer from a kiosk. And Svetlana and I settled into a pattern where one or two nights a week, 
we would clear the dinner dishes. There was only room in the kitchen for two of us anyway. We would clear the dishes and with a pile of magazines for pictures so you could point to things and dictionaries. We would try to have a conversation. My curiosity ran far ahead of my vocabulary. So pretty early in this, one night I said to Svetlana, what happened when the Soviet Union broke? That question is like this big. But she rose to it. And she shook her head and she said, hard times. I understood that. I understood that. And then she said, work without pay. I understood that too. And I sort of pondered on it and I said, hard times. Staying within my vocabulary. And there was a little pause. And she looked up, and she looked at me with an intensity that I had not seen before, and I didn't see again the rest of the time that I looked with her. And she leaned across that little table, and she put out one hand. It was heavy. And she said, work without pay. And then the other hand came out. It was even heavier. And she said, gulag. And she weighed them. And then with this look of incredible pride, she took this one away and she said, Rebut Bezaplata. Right at that instant, there was this ray of light that shone down into that dark corner where I'd misplaced my courage. And I saw courage in a new way. Because what she was saying was, in this balance, she was prepared to make the sacrifice of working for months with no pay if it meant that the gulag would go away. It was the price of independence. Courage was doing what must be done to go on. That was the insight that I went there looking for. You may have wondered what a 60-year-old guy was doing joining the Peace Corps. Um, in May of 2007, my wife died. Cancer. It had taken about a year. And anyone who's had any relationship to cancer knows it's a team sport. The patient, the player, may be on the field contending with the indignities of the disease and the indignities of the treatment, but the caregivers on the bench for every game, every round, every play, you're right there. And, and it's a league. You're interacting with other people who are in the same game. And I spent that year in awe of the courage of the patients. Every day, every day, they looked at that fear and faced it out. Somehow, in contrast to that courage, mine seemed diminished. That was where it went. 
In May of seven, Susie was in pretty bad shape. And the doctor who had primary responsibility for her care said, well, I got, we got one more idea, there's another test, another procedure we could try, and maybe it would sort of ameliorate some of the symptoms. Um, but it needs to happen in the hospital. Bring her in. So, you know, we'd had a lot of practice with that. We knew how to do that. So we got her checked into the hospital, got her situated in a room, they get a little sedation going. She goes down. This is a procedure with a doctor we've had little interactions with at that point, kind of new in the scene. Um, and they said it wouldn't take long, so I just waited in the room. But, you know, a lot of time started to pass. Finally, the phone rang, and it was this new doctor that we hadn't interacted with very much. He was on the phone, and he said, there's a problem. You need to come down now. So I went down, and, you know, after you've been around this stuff for a while, even as a layman, you can sort of read the monitors, and anybody can read the body language of a group of medical professionals. And it was clear to me at that moment that the light that had been the center of my life for 25 years was flickering out. And this new doc came up and he said, uh, we got to move her to an intensive care unit. And I said, um, no. He just looked at me. And I said, have you read her chart? I was, at this point, I was angry. He just looked down. He hadn't read her chart. He didn't have to read the whole thing. Just that one piece of paper that's stapled on the front that's got a couple of lines of text and her signature, he hadn't even read that. And I said, well, I've read her chart. And I can give you the gist. And the gist is, no ICU. A regular room, we wait. That's what we did. She floated up from the sedation, died the next day. Educators like to say that education changes the meaning of experience. I'd like to turn that a little and say that education changes the meaning of experience. And my experience of having Svetlana reframe the meaning of courage <clears throat> helped me understand that what had happened in that instant when I said to that doctor, no, was that in some strange way, though Susie was still alive, I had inherited the courage that she had forged in that year. And I used that courage to say to that doctor, no, to do what must be done to go on. <laughs>